Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today is going to be a great show as we are talking all things Camino de Santiago. The Camino is a series of different pilgrimage routes that all end up in Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain. And for many people, this is the very first trek they ever do. Here to give us all the information we need is Sibella Gipini, founder of Galley Wonders, a specialist pilgrimage tour operator based in northern Spain. Hi, Sibella. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm excited because I love the pilgrimage. I know when I first learned about it, I thought it was just one route. And there's way more to the Camino. But first off, maybe, you know, for people that don't know anything about the Camino, can you describe what exactly is the Camino? Yeah, of course. So the Camino de Santiago is an ancient pilgrimage route that has attracted pilgrims since the Middle Ages. So the objective was to visit the remains of St. James the Apostle that were supposed to be in the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela. The first pilgrim who walked the Camino was King Alfonso II in the Middle Ages, back in the 9th century. But the path has evolved a lot since then. So nowadays it's much more than just a religious pilgrimage route. It has to do a lot with... uh, sociability, with um, a spiritual experience, with contact with nature, with connection with oneself and with the environment, to visit the rural areas of, of Spain and to get to know pilgrims from all, all, from all over the world. So at the moment there are many different caminos and each traveler or pilgrim um, has their own motivations to walk it. So as we always say, there are as many Camino de Santiago roads as pilgrims walking them. When you talk to people who have completed their 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 pilgrimage, their first pilgrimage, you know why are they so captivated? You know, are there are there themes that come out that you know people hear again and again? Uh, yeah, the thing is that nowadays our world is a bit stressful and our routine is a bit hectic. So the Camino de Santiago offers an alternative alternative to these uh, lifestyles. So. It's a way of connection with oneself, with nature, with the environment. So we also know about the psychological benefits of walking. So in addition, there is this sociable part, this spiritual part. And I think this is why many pilgrims from all over the world are attracted by this this experience. Of course, there are other attractions other than the spiritual side of the Camino, the gastronomy, the culture of Spain, the the traditions. I mean, the gastronomy of Spain is very well known, particularly in our region, in Galicia, uh, the environment. And of course, the, because of the movie The Way uh, by Martin Sheen, the Camino became very popular in North America, which is why many pilgrims from there come to, to discover this adventure. One thing, as you're talking, I was thinking about a lot of people, their first kind of long walk is the Camino. So you have a lot of people who have never experienced, you know, being away from the office, putting their phones away, not having a schedule and just, you know, being outdoors for 
one week, two weeks, four weeks. And I wonder if that's why it's so popular. Once you spend time outdoors, you realize how, how beautiful it is, how great your body feels. And I, I wonder if, if the pilgrimage is just a really good introduction for people that want to have, you know, more of an outdoors lifestyle and, you know, kind of a healthier lifestyle. Do you, do you see that with your guests, that this is something that it's kind of the start of a lifestyle change? Yeah, we see that. In fact, we see a lot of uh, pilgrims who uh, ask us about uh, their physical condition. They they are not used to walking or hiking, so they wonder if they are allowed to, to do the Camino. And we always say the Camino is not for professionals. Anyone with a minimal level of fitness is able to do it because you you don't have to do it in one hour or two hours. Each pilgrim can follow their own path at their, their own speed. So, yeah, I say that, and there's something about the Camino that when you do it once, then you want to repeat. So we see a lot of pilgrims that do it one year and they come back the next year and then they, they are really into outdoor, into hiking, and they start to do other routes in their, in their countries. So, yeah, there's something special about it. I always thought when I first you know, read the book, there was only one Camino, there was one route. And over time, I realized there's lots of different routes. Why did all these different Camino routes evolve? Yeah, there are many different Camino routes, as you say, because um, from the origin of the Camino, pilgrims from different places were coming to Santiago de Compostela, and they were coming from different areas. For example, the most popular one is called the French Way. That is the path that pilgrims from continental Europe took. So they they started to walk from their countries and they arrived in France and they crossed the Pyrenees, walked through northern Spain and finished in Santiago. Then we have the Via de la Plata, that is the route that connects southern Spain with Santiago de Compostela. We have the Portuguese Way, that is the one that crosses all Portugal. And we have the English Way, that is the the path chosen by pilgrims from the islands, from the United Kingdom and Ireland that used to arrive in Galicia region by boat and they continue the the walk to, to Santiago. And then we have another one that is the only one that doesn't finish in Santiago but starts in Santiago, which is called the Finisterre Way. And it's the one that connects Santiago de Compostela with the coast. So many pilgrims, they decide to go to Santiago, but once there, they decide to walk a bit further on and finish by the ocean. So, so I'd like to dig in a bit more about each, each of these routes. And so let's talk with Camino Frances, because I think that's the one that most people know about. Uh, that's the French way. And so, you know, how long is it? You know, where does it start? And like, how difficult is that one? Is, is, is that a good starter Camino for people? Yeah, the, the French way is uh, the most popular Camino de Santiago route. It's the one that attracted pilgrims from continental Europe in the Middle Ages. It begins in Saint-Jean-de-Pied-de-Port in France, but it's right in the border with Spain, so just the first day is in France. All the rest of the route is in Spanish territory, so you cross uh, different uh, areas of Spain, like uh, Navarra region, La Rioja region, the one that is uh, very connected with wines, Castilla region, and finally Galicia region. If you do the full route, it can take more than one month, Usually it takes about 35 walking days, depending on how fast you are and how many kilometers you want to walk each day. Uh, most of the pilgrims do the last 100 kilometers. Uh, the last 100 kilometers is the minimum required to get the Compostela certificate. 
the Compostela certificate is a, the certificate that certifies that one pilgrim has completed the Camino de Santiago. And to get that, you need at least 100 kilometers. So the last 100 kilometers of the French Way start in Sarria, and this particular section, Sarria to Santiago, is the most popular section of all Camino de Santiago routes. If you do this, this part, it can be done in one week, more or less, around six walking days, and you will discover the rural areas of uh, Galicia region, such as uh, Paras de Rey, Melide, Artua, Porto Marin. Um, each one of them has its own traditions, culture, gastronomy. These are very rural areas that would be kind of difficult to visit if you are not doing the Camino. So thanks to the Camino, it's possible to visit these areas of Spain. I remember years ago following a fellow on social media that tried to start the Camino Frances in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in like December 25th. And it was, you know, just covered in snow. And I think he had to give up or he took a train down. It didn't seem like December and January was the best time to do the Camino. When when do you think is the ideal time for people to, you know, to undertake the the, the Camino Frances? Yeah, in fact, if you do the full Camino de Frances, you cannot do it in winter time. The area of the Pyrenees is closed due to the snow. So that area is closed usually from the end of November to the beginning of March. So that's why your your friends couldn't do it. The best time to <laughs> yeah, the best time to walk the Camino um, is any Camino I'd say is from April to October. There are months that are more popular like May or September. Usually international pilgrims avoid summer months that for us are July and August because of the heat. Any time from April to October is a good time, really. And then along the way, what type of accommodations do people stay in? There are different kinds of accommodations. There are the albergues that are hostels, shared rooms or shared bathrooms, shared facilities. These kind of places usually cannot be booked. So it usually works on first come, first served basis. We don't work with this kind of accommodation because it's kind of difficult to work with them since they don't accept bookings. And then you have two kinds of private accommodations. Um, pensiones that are hotels or equivalent to two stars, more or less. And then we have the better hotels, guest houses, country cottages that would be like four and five stars accommodation. In this kind of accommodation, you always get your own room and your own private bathroom. You know, those those non-reservable hostel type accommodations. I remember my first trip in Nepal and everyone would wake up early to get to the next village to make sure they got a, a place in the tea house. And it really uh, ruined the trip because you you had to rush. There was so much stress. Is it like that on the Camino now with so many people? Are people waking up early and rushing just so they can get a space in the hostel? Yeah, that's right. If you don't travel with bookings, I'm sorry, but that's what you're going to find. Um, there are pilgrims who start the walk at five or four in the morning because they want to be there the first to be able to get a bed. <laughs> but it's also possible to do it a different way. You can travel with everything pre-booked, so you don't have to rush. You can just enjoy the, the the way. It depends on the kind of experience you are looking for. If you're looking for affordable accommodation and not spending, and you want to share spaces with uh, other pilgrims, and you are not worried about having to rush or having to wake up very early in the morning, that's fine. You can go to the hostels, but if you prefer to walk at your own speed and to to wake up at the time you want, I would 
rather choose to book everything in advance. And when you book everything in advance, you can also get luggage transfers, which uh, I know the first time anyone gets luggage transfer, it kind of blows them away because, you know, you walk with a little small day back, but when you get to your accommodation, everything you need is there. You're not wearing the same clothes every day. Um, can you do luggage transfers from the entire Camino Frances or are there days, like I know in the Alps, there's some days where, you know, you have to pack a day pack. Is that the case on the Camino as well? We can do luggage transfer every day, so you don't have to work with with your luggage. So the, basically the way it works is that every morning you need, to, you need to leave your luggage at the reception of the hotel and you leave and uh, the transporter will come to collect it and deliver it in the, in the next place. It's a service that usually surprises people because they are not used to it, but it's very common on the Camino, it's very regular and uh, transporters know where to collect and where to deliver the bags. So so one thing I always hear uh, from people when they go on the Camino is just the community aspect. And do you want to talk a little bit about being with other pilgrims and the relationships that happen? Because uh, for outsiders, it seems really powerful how, you know, in seven days or 14 days, you can build these relationships with others. Yeah, that's true. It seems... I mean, you, you don't know what it is until you leave it, because sometimes you can think, oh, I'm, I'm just on holidays. I'm not going to have a powerful relationship with anyone. But then once you're on the way, your mood changes and you spend a lot of time walking and a lot of time just concentrating on yourself and on others. And you don't have to think about work. You just have a conversation and sometimes you start the Camino with someone and finish the Camino with the same person. You share the challenge with someone else, you share the experience and in the end you build a very powerful relationship. You know, one thing I've always thought is, is when you go traveling with, you know, with your family or with your friends, what you just said, you're sharing these powerful experiences. Um, it's just so, so incredible. And so to go on the Camino and, you know, have those relationships with people you don't even know. I know I've talked to to friends who have done it like with their parents or with their, you know, with their family. It's just even more heightened because you're having this incredible experience, but you're having it with the people that you care most about, um, which is just, you know, one of these things you never forget about for the rest of your life. You know, you think, oh, remember when we went and did the Camino? Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, is always, always going to be with you. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And we as a travel agency, we have a different kind of relationship we are with our clients. It's not like a regular relationship with like when you organize a trip to a summer destination. This experience is different. It's very spiritual. So in the end, we, we have a very close relationship with it, with our pilgrims. Uh, when they finish their trip, they call us, they want to share what happened. They send us pictures and it's, it's, it's great because sometimes we even have friendship with them. That does sound great. So we've talked about the Camino Frances. You've mentioned some other ones. What would you say, you know, let, let, let's choose another one and maybe you can just describe what that, that Camino is. The second most popular Camino is the Portuguese way. There are two different Portuguese ways. One of them goes uh, through the inner part of Portugal and the other one is the Portuguese coastal way. Both of them start in Porto and finish in Santiago, but they follow different paths up to Redondela. In Redondela, they, they merge together and continue through the same path to Santiago de Compostela. This one is a very good option because it allows you to discover two different countries, Portugal and Spain. And the Portuguese Coastal Way in particular offers 
very very nice landscape as you as pilgrims will be walking uh, very close to the ocean and they will be able to discover small fishing villages and the most popular towns uh, summer towns there in the area like Viana do Castelo, Aguarda, Bayona, Vigo, Pontevedra. It's a, a really nice option. And how long is the different uh, Portuguese Camino options? Are they seven days as well or can they be a bit longer? It depends on the section you choose to walk. If you want to do the full thing from Porto to Santiago, it takes around two weeks. And if you choose to do the last 100 kilometers, it would be one week more or less, seven walking days. So the last 100 of por- uh, kilometers of the traditional Portuguese way start in Tui, from Tui to Santiago. And the last 100 kilometers of the Portuguese coastal way start in Bayona, from Bayona to Santiago. So each, uh, each one of them can be can be completed in one week. Let, let's move on to the Via de la Plata, because that was one I actually bought a book to do like 15 years ago. I was I was really interested in, I don't know why, that one just kind of transfixed me. How popular is the Via de la Plata? Well, it's not the most popular uh, Camino de Santiago route. Um, in fact, it's a very long route. It starts in southern Spain, in Andalusia, in Seville. And it goes all the way up to, to Galicia. But we used to organize the full thing, but most of the, the accommodations we usually work with closed after the pandemic. It's difficult to find transporters in the area. So at the moment, we are only organizing the last 100 kilometers from Orense to Santiago, all in Galician territory. It's very nice, but it's quite remote. It's not very well known. There are some stages that are quite long. And because we, we cannot organize luggage transfers there, we only recommend it to pilgrims who, to, to professional pilgrims, pilgrims who have already done one Camino de Santiago before and know what to expect. And also one thing to know about this route is that it's not very well marked. On the French way, for example, you will see an indication every 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 meter. But on the Via de la Plata, you have to have a good orientation. Yeah, I think that's what drew it to me. I think it was like 45 days. And I remember some of the days, it was like 30 or thirty or 40 kilometers between villages. I thought, oh, that sounds like a really interesting way to do it. Um, but I have all these books of these long distance treks I wanted to do and ended up did not having the time for. Um, what would you say is the third most popular uh, Camino? Maybe the Camino Inglés, the English way. And this one is short. It only takes one week from northern Galicia to Santiago de Compostela. It starts in Ferrol. And it's quite nice because it uh, starts on the coast. Uh, You will see some coastal towns on the first three walking days. And on the last three walking days, it it walks through the countryside of Galicia. It has a Celtic origin. It used to be the route chosen by pilgrims coming from England and Ireland in the Middle Ages. They used to arrive by boat to Ferrol, and from Ferrol to Santiago, they continued walking. And then the last one you talked to one is the route to Finisterre. And that's that's one where, uh, that always fascinated me. You know, you do this great pilgrimage, and then you you walk out to the coast. Um, what it, like How, how long is, is, that, is that route? So this route can be usually done in five walking days, more or less. It depends on each pilgrim, but it's quite short. As I said before, it's the only one that starts in Santiago instead of finishing there and ends in Finisterre. Finisterre is a mythical place here in Galicia. It's known as the end of the world 
and there are many legends and traditions of a Celtic origin, a lot of mysticism in the area. And um, in the Middle Ages, pilgrims who walked to Finisterre used to burn their clothes uh, there once they arrived in Finisterre as a symbol of purification. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I hadn't heard about that. That sounds so cool. When people, you know, complete their pilgrimage and they arrive in Santiago, what happens then? Well, once they arrive in Santiago, they usually go to the pilgrim's office to request the Compostela certificate. As I said, is um, the certificate that uh, mentions that you have walked the Camino. Then they usually go to the cathedral, to the pilgrim mass. Usually there are three pilgrim masses every day. And even if you are not a religious person, it's something nice to do because uh, you will share this time with other pilgrims who have finished their Camino the same day as you. You will see tears, people crying, and there's a lot of emotion there. Uh, and some of the most popular places to visit in Santiago before going back home are the Obradorio Square, that is the most uh, popular square in Santiago, where you can see the facade of the cathedral the Hospedería San Martín Pinario, which is a, a very popular building there, and also walking around the old quarters of Santiago and trying the local uh, restaurants, the tapas, the wine. And, you know, there at the end of the Camino, there is a lot of joy, a lot of good vibes. You will see pilgrims in the terrace having a nice time and having a beer with the other fellow pilgrims. So mm, it's quite a nice way to finish the adventure. It's like a party every day with Caminos coming in. Yeah, that's right. For people who aren't used to, you know, eating in Spain, you know, I know some people are unused to, you know, you know, tapas and the different meal times. What can they expect while they're on a pilgrimage in terms of, you know, when meals are and, and what some of the popular dishes are? Yeah, usually in Spain we have our meals later than other countries. For example, we typically have breakfast at eight more or less. Uh, some hotels can accommodate pilgrims and start to deliver breakfast before that, but usually eight, something like that. Then in Spain, we typically have lunch around 2, 2.30 or maybe 3. Uh, I know it's quite late for pilgrims coming from other countries. And then we have dinner around 9. So <laughs> sometimes there's kind of cultural shock with this. So we have to explain them. Some hotels are used to international pilgrims other hotels aren't so sorry that's that's what happens when you travel and about the most popular dishes as i said uh, the camino passes through many different areas of spain so each one of them has its own uh, specialties galicia region is very well known because of the seafood and the octopus in fact uh, some of the towns along the camino like melide uh, on the French way, are very popular because of the octopus. It's like the very most traditional dish there. What else? The caldo gallego, which is the Galician soup. That's something that uh, pilgrims really like. The empanada, that would be your, your pie. Uh, uh, and also as a dessert, the um, Galician pie. That is um, is the pie with, uh, with a cross. Um, I don't know if you have tried it or have you seen pictures of it. I don't know if I've tried it, but I've, de I've definitely seen it. I think one thing you mentioned, what's what's really cool is if you go for a longer Camino, it's not like here in North America where the food's really similar everywhere. You go one day and the next day it's like all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's a bunch of new stuff or, on the menu or a bunch of different things I haven't had before. And so if you like eating food or you like wine, 
it's kind of like you get a little journey of your taste buds because you have all these different things that change every day, which I think is really exciting. That's one of the things I always like about trekking in Europe is you show up in a new village and all of a sudden they make pastries differently or they've got some cool soup and it's just fun to, you know, all these little explosions of joy every day. Yeah, that's right. Spain is a very diverse country and each uh, region can be a country itself because uh, gastronomy is very different. And uh, something that is very in, very valued by pilgrims walking the Camino is the gastronomy and this diversity and being able to have something different every night. And once you arrive in, in Galicia, the gastronomy is very different compared to the one you have back in Navarra, even the wine. For example, in La Rioja region, at the beginning of the French way, uh, their specialty is red wine, while in Galicia region, we have the Albariño wine, which is white wine, also very good. Also, I don't know, there is something, there's always something special about meals. The last question I want to ask is, you know, people that are coming from, you know, from North America, they're used to, on walk, used to walking on mountain paths, you know, these little narrow paths. What are the paths like along the different Caminos? I know they all vary, but what can people expect in general, the different types of walking paths they'll go on? Usually what they have in common is when you come close to a big city like Santiago or on the French way, Leon or Burgos or Logroño, when you approach the big city, usually you will walk through paved roads and the landscape becomes quite industrial. But other than that, it's uh, usually through unpaid uh, roads and through rural areas. Uh, about the terrain, it depends on the Camino. There, are, For example, the Portuguese way is quite flat, so if you don't want to have a very challenging route and ups and downs, that's the one we usually recommend. If you're an experienced pilgrim and you like challenges, we typically recommend the primitive way, Camino Primitivo, because it's uh, through the mountains and there are many ups and downs. It's quite hilly. The French way, um, it's doable, but some of the walking days, like the one from uh, Palace de Rey to Arzúa, it's quite long and there are some ups and downs. But, I mean, it's not like you have to climb or anything like that. Anyone can do it, but it's something you need to expect. Yeah, as I said, usually you will walk through rural, rural areas, through unpaved paths, but as you approach the big cities, you will walk through through paved roads. And then, you know, with all these different Caminos, do you have a favorite stage or a favorite village that you think is, it's just like you love going there or you love redoing that stage? For me, the best Camino is the Portuguese way um, because you walk through really nice towns like Tui, Pontevedra, eh, Padrón, all of them have something something nice. And on the first days, you see the coast on your left side, which is amazing. Uh, I, I'm from Pontevedra myself and I've done the Camino and I was really surprised to discover some small places that I didn't know that were so close to my home. Uh, there's one pl particular place on the walking day from Redondela to, to Arcade, which is called Ponte Sampaio. It's a very, very tiny village, but it has a very nice bridge and uh, the landscape there of the of the sea with the boats and all the history surrounding that tiny village, I think it's something worth to discover. Also, one small place on the French way is Rivadizo. It's a, also a very small place. It's on the walking day from Palace de Rey to Arzúa. Right before Arzúa, I think it's maybe two kilometers before Arzúa. And it's um, 
a tiny place, but there is a river and a small bridge. So you, when you walk there, I've done that part many times. And you, when you walk through that area, you see all the pilgrims there um, swimming on the river. And it's a, a really nice picture. Uh, it's funny, as you're saying this, your your face is lighting up. I can see the joy uh, that these memories bring you. And and I think that's that's why the pilgrimage of the Caminos are so popular is they just bring so much joy to people. They bring all these great memories. And and really, a Camino has to be on everybody's who loves the outdoors, has to be on their bucket list, whether or not it's, you know, a seven day one or one of the long 30 or 40 day ones. Uh, it's just a great way to explore, you know, a beautiful part of Europe and have this incredible moment with lots of other people. Uh, and so, Sabella, thanks for coming on the show today and sharing all your knowledge about the Camino uh, and all the different routes. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And if you want to learn more about the different pilgrimages we talked about, I will share links to some of the itineraries in the show notes so you can check out what these uh, these different routes look like. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10adventures.